I uh, have always been a bit of a math person all throughout school. Uh, my undergrad was information science, which meant a couple years of calculus and working problems that suddenly took multiple sheets of paper to solve. Uh, I got a job tutoring in algebra and trigonometry in my university. So when I attended my very first diocesan convention uh, the spring before I went to seminary, it was fitting to me that the bishop gave me the job of counting votes uh, because they were all uh, still done by hand and we just got massive uh, baskets of paper to go and count through. Uh, so I told the bishop thanks, like, of all the things in the world I can do, counting uh, is near the top. Um, probably won't get to use those math skills anymore. Uh, and my bishop looked at me very seriously because he was a great bishop and said, we needed more people who understood numbers in this work and that it would be very useful in my job. And I have thought about him ever since with every stewardship season and budget committee and vestry meeting. But I doubt my bishop had this morning's parable in mind, uh, which did give me the opportunity to do some basic math here for you that shows, I think, something important about this story. One master, three slaves. The master decides to go away and gives out his fortune in the form of talents. You already know, of course, that a talent is a form of currency. But what you may not know is that one talent is equal to roughly 15 to 20 years worth of labor. So one talent at the federal U.S. minimum wage, $7.25 an hour, means one talent equals roughly $300,000. One talent at the median wage of $50,000-ish dollars you're looking at $750,000 per talent, okay? So a master had some slaves and gave over his property. But slavery meant something very different then, and this is not a trifling loan. To the first one, he gave five talents, an astronomical sum, 75 years worth of labor, millions of dollars, and just hands it over. No directions given, no contract drawn. More than a lifetime's worth of earnings. Another slave got two talents, 30 years' worth of wages at the minimum. A million dollars handed to you just like that. Go and do something with this. The last slave, though, Jones... This story is really all about Jones. He got one talent, still 15 years' worth of wages, hundreds of thousands of dollars even at our paltry minimum wage. Jones, though, is afraid. What's he afraid of? Well, his boss to start, this absentee master whom he's heard a lot about that this master is demanding harsh, exacting. Jones is also afraid of the banks, that he'll lose what's been entrusted to him. He styles this not as fear, but as worldly wisdom. He says, 
The next president will destroy the market. You've got to liquidate your assets. He browses conspiracy theories on the internet. He keeps a stockpile of guns in the basement. But Jones, above all of this, likes the idea of being in total and perfect control of what he believes is his own. Bury your valuables in a jar. Keep a dog in the yard. Cut off those who have wronged you. Sleep with one ear close to the ground. Hear a thief with the crack of every branch. And no one can touch you. Jones is is safe, invulnerable even, the sad little king of a sad little hill, and dutifully tends his one talent to make sure it stays exactly the same as it's always been, isolated, airtight, hidden. We know that this is a story not about masters and slaves, but about God and us. We know that this is a story not about money and interest, not about math even, but about gifts and how we use them. We know too that Jones is a part of us, the part that fears the worst from life, the fear of things and people unlike me, the fear of a God I don't understand and who is far from my control. We know the fear that comes from love that is taken advantage of and how hard it is to invest again. We know the fear of scarcity and the instinctive urge to grasp more tightly at what we have, minimizing risk and vulnerability. Jesus is posing a question to us today. What do you have that is buried? What are you clinching so tightly that you are unable to grasp the kingdom of God? These gifts of generosity and hope and forgiveness that God gives out are worth more than the labor of a lifetime. And when we keep those gifts buried, they start to die. Starved of oxygen underground, the gifts of God's kingdom will perish. And it is not only us who suffer, but our world does as well, in weeping and gnashing of teeth. There was a master who went away on a long trip, but he trusted his workers and gave out his fortune, everything he had to give, immeasurable gifts to a few people for a short while. And to some, he gave Christchurch Warwick, the place where people can grapple honestly with their questions and their doubts and faith and life, the place where liturgy and tradition have been handed down as they have been for millennia, the church where people can bring their whole selves and find welcome, regardless of background, no matter the number of churches that have told them that they are damned, no matter their age or sexuality or political leanings or proclivity to cry in church. (laughs) 
The church meant to take the bounty of God's grace and have it multiplied in you and around you. Can you see it? For to all those that have, much more is to be given. Amen.